Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Andromahi Sofocleus and Kemal Baikalli. Join us in this podcast journey from pessimism to optimism. The leaders on both sides of the divide are not contributing into the peace process, and this is why there is a democratic deficit. People on both sides of the divide are trying their best to make a difference for reconciliation on the island and listen to our podcasts because we explain what those initiatives are. Well, actually, the name of the podcast is Nicosia Ankat, but Nicosia continues to be divided into two parts, and Cyprus is as well. And it seems like that this doesn't bother the Cypriot leaders on either side of the divide. I mean, I would understand Mr. Tatar, who advocates two-state solution and who is actually literally getting instructions from Mr. Erdogan. But um, the Greek Cypriot leadership, who always claim that they're in favor of the uh, bicommunal, bizonal federation, and uh, and all that I, I don't think that they have the they have convinced anyone uh, I think uh, in the international community about their intention and things are getting um, even 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 worse in the sense that you know both sides are investing into the division they are attacking to the United Nations they are not giving enough ground to the international community to do something about it. And uh, very briefly, um, we know that the Turkish Cypriot side has instructed um, their side, their uh, technicals, to stop the famous uh, Imagine project, which was bringing the Turkish Cypriot and, and Greek Cypriot youngsters, uh, school children, together. And uh, we hear the news about the, you know, uh, the infamous, I should say, the Grivas Museum. And um, how do you see the situation now? I think we are sleepwalking towards this distraction Kemal and I think that there is nobody and and there is all this talk about catastrophe and the problems and uh, and everything but in in a sense and in substance there doesn't seem to be the urgency the urgency to actually do something about it and things are not uh the way they used to be we do not have the luxury of of, of time and we keep hearing from uh, from politicians, especially in the Greek Cypriot community, how the status quo is constantly changing, how things are going from bad to worse, but there is no decisive step or decisive discussion as to what it is that we can do now. Everybody decided that maybe we should be waiting for the elections. And we also say this occasionally, right? I mean, we have elections, the local elections in the Turkish Cypriot community. We have the presidential elections coming up for the Republic of Cyprus. We have the elections in Turkey and we have the elections in, in Greece. But still, it doesn't. none of those elections e- erase or delete or remove the, the democratic deficit, if, if I may say. Well, and at the same time, there is never a time when there are no elections. And even in the in the last round of the negotiations, it, it was constantly sort of presented as an issue, the, the, the elections in either side. The problem now, and that is one inherent problem with the Cyprus problem, when you have such long-standing conflicts, it is very easy for the population to lose grasp of the urgency and to lose grasp of the immensity of times, let's say. And I honestly believe that we are going through those times now. But aside from rhetoric and superficial rhetoric, we don't see conscious urgency to actually intervene, to actually do something about it, to change the way, to change the approach. And we are at this very crucial stage 
stage now that, I mean, you referred to the Imagine project being cancelled. I honestly believe that since 2003, when the crossing points were opened, we lived through some, some sort of a honeymoon when it comes to bi-communal relations, when it comes to bringing people together with all the difficulties, with all the, with all the limitations, obviously. But it was a honeymoon. I mean, uh, bi-communal or multi-communal projects uh, flourished. There were so many. There was an interest by the international community as well. And there was this flourishing. I honestly believe that we are now at that crucial stage in which things that we have taken for granted will slowly be unpicked. And, and we see this, well, we see it especially from the Turkish Cypriot side that has diplomatically and politically moved away from the solution of a federation. So they they have their share of blame. And we see it in the case of the Imagine program. We see it in the case of all the problems and the issues that arise when it comes to the functioning of the technical committees that, I mean, the, I mean, the Turkish Cypriot side now sees as, as an attempt to again upgrade, let's say, the understanding of sovereign equality for the Turkish Cypriots. But at the same time, when it comes to the Republic of Cyprus, while it, it embraces in, in rhetoric the bizonal bicommunal federation, in substance, and when it comes to actually acting against the tide and acting against what we, we see coming, which is the enforcement of partition in every step of the way, they are failing. They seem like they are either totally incapable of thinking in, of ideas for intervention in what is happening, or they are totally unwilling. Well, I was just thinking whether, um, whether you know, the people who actually mean well, if there are any around, uh, maybe they also lost their hope in the sense that, you know, the Turkish Cypriots think that Greek Cypriots rejected or lost many chances, and um, you know they, there is no sign that they are really interested in some kind of a reunification process. But on the same time, uh, we have a Tatar in the Turkish Cypriot side, so it doesn't give any hope to the Greek Cypriots either. So maybe it's something to do with the fact that people don't have any hope, and that doesn't motiv- motivate them to, to do, to take some political action. Having said that, however, it's the job of the politicians and the politics to, to bring solutions, I mean, <laughs> in an ideal world, to, to, to maybe to, to see what we can, how we can get out of this uh, problem. And you know, we are now in the situation in which you have Mr. Kasulidis as the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Cyprus, and the second time appointment of Mr. Kasulidis after the withdrawal and the resignation of uh, former Foreign Affairs Minister Mr. Christodoulidis, it was presented as this sort of change in the ministry, change of tactics on behalf of the we Republic actually mentioned of the, one of our programs, remember? Oh, that yes. Suddenly the rhetoric also changed as well. But it, it was a conscious attempt, especially from the Averov Neofidu camp, to present Mr. Kasulidis as, you know, the breakaway from Mr. Christodoulidis. And in fact, the C and Mr. Averov Neofidu, they have been basically accusing Mr. Christodoulidis for a great deal of intransigence uh, on the Cyprus problem. We even heard a representative of Mr. Neofidu saying a few days ago on TV that Mr. Christodoulidis does not want a Cyprus problem solution, which... Of course, it will forever beg the question, if this is the case, <laughs> why was he a part of the DC government for so many years? But regardless of this, the problem now is that we see um, a stance by Mr. Kasulidis that is 
totally inexplicable when it comes to the rhetoric that he's using, when it comes to the attempt, the conscious attempt to in some way demonize the, the United Nations. And let's be clear here, Kemal, the United Nations is an institution that has been in Cyprus for so many years, and it itself, it would have a share of blame, or at least it would have sort of issues that it could improve, etc. But we cannot continue or uh, or stand behind a rhetoric that tries to present the United Nations as the chief agent of um, of uh, problems on the island. I mean, what moment. happens when you discredit the UN? I mean, eventually you want another agency to deal with it or you want them to go forever and then you're going to face with the Turkish army and uh, and what? Um, what's the point? But that's the issue. And the fact that you have the Republic of Cyprus for so many years having as a, as a constant fear the withdrawal of Anfisip from the island, but at the same time you have leaked minutes from a discussion between the head of Anfisip on the island now and Mr. Kasulidis, and you have Mr. Kasulidis cited as saying that there is a chance that Cyprus will not agree to Anfisip remaining on the island as a threat against the discussion that are taking And this place. is against the very basic policy of Republic of Cyprus since forever. And it goes to show how recklessly the government is currently acting. And honestly, I come to think that in the face of all that is coming as a repercussion, let's say, of the absence of a solution, the government, what is now doing is that it reverts to the <laughs> common old tactic of demonizing, of uh, sort of spreading the fear, because this is what the government is doing. I mean, there is a clear sense of insecurity on the ground. And if you look at the matter profoundly, one will say that this basically derives from the lack of willingness or capacity on behalf of the Republic of Cyprus to act in the face of what is coming. And let me be clear here, Kemal, the criticism towards the Turkish Cypriot leadership and the Turkish leadership that they have moved away from uh, a federation and from the model of a bizonal communal federation is there and will remain there. But they at least come forward and they say that they do not believe in a federation. So all their steps are explained uh, in terms of, you know, enhancing partition on the island. Unpleasantly consistent. Unpleasantly consistent is a very accurate uh, <laughs> term, but unpleasantly inconsistent yes. <laughs> is the Republic of Cyprus when it claims to be devoted and committed to a bizonal bicommunal federation, but when it comes to taking those measures on the ground that will at least pave the way in absence of tier one negotiations, the Republic of Cyprus is uh, hopeless. I hear many analysis and stories, uh, especially from the outsiders, saying that Turkey will eventually change its position. The reason why they're so, uh, you know, tough is because they want to, um, let's say, um, create a new base for the federal talks in the future and then maybe have an upper hand. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that it's to the benefit of any side to insist on the two-state solution. It, You know, it doesn't help you. Internationally, you lose credibility and, and all that. But we also have the chance to speak to the internationals and the diplomats here in Cyprus. I mean, um, people who follow us on Instagram as our uh, United Cyprus Now activists uh, had um, know that we talked to um, the UK High Commissioner, we talked to the United Nations representative here, we talked to the diplomats, and um, everybody's trying to first understand what's going on, 
And two, I think they are all trying to find a, an area where they can actually make a difference in a positive way. Everybody is trying to do something about it because it's also good for their career. Once they're in Cyprus, they will have to contribute into the, the reconciliation in a way. But I don't see that there is any ground for anybody to, to interject and do something positive when the sides are so, so opposed to each other. And, um, you know, it's, it's to the benefits of the Cypriots who actually have friends and crosses daily and do business together um, to, to have a, a better climate. But I don't see it coming, especially until um, the elections, uh, let's say, in Turkey. I think the urgency is absent, Kemal. The urgency and the understanding of how urgent, for the sake of the country, it would be. We are on the verge of actually even losing contact. We are on the verge of actually losing any sort of capacity to influence anything that is happening in the north, anything that is happening in the lives of the Turkish Cypriots. And we are going to talk about this in a bit, and I want you to inform us. But even now, when you see the Turkish Cypriots once again standing up against Turkish sort of uh, attempt to impose Feda Compli on them, uh, we see them again standing up. And I was reading this interview by Dos Deria a few days ago in which she was saying we need compatriots and uh, comrades in this struggle. And this is my core criticism towards the Republic of Cyprus. The Republic of Cyprus and the prospect of a united Cyprus rests on the unity of the people and on safeguarding the bicommunal aspect of, um, of the Republic. The Republic of Cyprus, though, in effect and in principle as we see it, is not interested in working on this, is not even interested in extending its arm towards the Turkish Cypriots at this time. And if there is something that we should have learned from history and from everything that has happened in the history of the Cyprus problem, is then so many times that the Republic of Cyprus and especially Greek Cypriots were absent from the struggles of Turkish Cypriots. I mean, that was always detrimental. And I would have expected that after so long and in the face of this catastrophe, we wouldn't have stayed not dormant. Talking about the um, Turkey trying to impose its uh, autonomy and control um, on the Turkish Cypriots, everybody, maybe the people who are interested in Cyprus, Um, they know that Turkey has been trying um, for some time to build a palace for the Turkish Cypriot leadership in the new parliament house. Because, the, the okay, let's be honest, the, 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 the previous ones are falling apart. They are so old. But I think th- there are many reasons why the Turkish Cypriots are very upset with it. One, because the decision came from Turkey and it's not the Turkish Cypriots decided. And two, it's the matter of priority. When we ha- have the roads falling apart, the public buildings falling apart, the hospitals are falling apart, th- to build a, a glamorous uh, palace with a, with a parliament building, and, and of course, which brings... This brings us to the third point with a mosque in it. And, you know, it's also a transfer of, of culture, transfer of, you know, ideology, if I may, to the Turkish Cypriots. And many were upset. So um, the last weekend there was a protest. And, um, okay, there were some people, but there were not as many people as everybody expected, mainly because, one, I think people had enough. Two, I think people, they think that they are not going to make a difference. And three, you know, because Turkey is giving the money and because Turkey is building it, you know, with, the Turkish money, uh, like people were saying, okay, if they do it, they do it. I mean, we need to keep our, let's say, struggle power for more dire things at the moment. It's like you need to use your 
uh, leverage more uh, carefully. And I think they also lost hope in the existing opposition uh, in the, Turkish, the, the mainstream Turkish Cypriot opposition. I think I hear a lot of people saying quite radical statements about Turkey's involvement in, in North Cyprus, but also inability of the Turkish Cypriot opposition to bring a radical uh, opposition to it, which, you know, it's not very easy on the other hand. <laughs> well, I think here it is also important to stress when it comes to the Turkish Cypriot community, first of all, the numerous times that the Turkish Cypriots have stood up against Turkey and Turkey's wills in the north. But at the same time, and this is where strategically speaking, I castigate the Republic of Cyprus, because how can you expect a community of people to stand up against what de facto appears to be their only opportunity to be exposed to the world, to trade with the world, to basically be paid their salaries. We need to understand the realities in the northern part of the island. And the Republic of Cyprus is failing to present the Turkish Cypriots with that alternative or with that hope so that they know that if they stand up against Turkey, they have somewhere to turn to rather than simply, you know, be uh, throwing it all in a fight against Turkey without having something to gain from, from the others with whom they are supposedly going to build a united country. You know, um, that reminds me this, prove this, prove that to us understanding. Every time there is a nationalistic development in the Greek Cypriot community, we are getting messages from those nationalistic, nationalistic Turks and Turkish Cypriots. Ah, prove your sincerity, protest this. And then every time happens something happens in the north, they tell you Andromahi, ah, why don't you say anything about this? And we are always blaming us. First of all, we don't have to prove anything to anybody. The peace process, the, the peace supporters in Cyprus, they don't need to prove anything to anybody because what's happening on the both sides of the divide actually feed each other. And I think peace supporters see them the, at the same front. Secondly, I think rather than instructing the peace supporters do this and do this, why don't you move your backside and then, you know, try to do something your, yourself? And, you know, and I, I think I, I find it very, very cheap when the nationalists on both sides are using the nationalists of the, uh, the actions of the nationalists on either side to, to prove their own uh, position, which is, I think, you know, a pure nonsense. And in this very uh, unfortunate environment, uh, we are still uh, going towards the, the elections, and I still don't hear any hardcore narrative about the Cyprus problem. Maybe you tell me more. No, there is no hardcore narrative on the Cyprus problem. Discussion on the Cyprus problem is sort of exhausted on this, uh, okay, the commitment to a bizonal bicommunal federation. We had a clarification in Mr. Christodoulidis' position in that he disagrees with a, a few parts, or at least a, a part in the Guterres framework that was admitted publicly only recently. So ju just to give a bit of a context, according to the Guterres framework, in the areas that that would remain under the Turkish Cypriot administration, the user, i.e. the Turkish Cypriot, will have the primary say as to what will happen with that uh, property rather than the actual owner 
the Greek Cypriot owner from before uh, 1974. And Mr. Christodoulidis has now said that he disagrees with that. So with this statement, Mr. Christodoulidis has at least given a sign of uh, where he stands. In any case, I, I think that anyone who says that we can return back to where we are or even from the Guterres framework, I think that this is in any case uh, uh, not in the stakes now. But what is important is the, is the setting that we see being created. And it is clear, especially from the people who support Mr. Christodoulidis, the way uh, he will approach uh, the Cyprus problem. So we kind of see, and in fact, uh, there was this list of 12 uh, former ambassadors of the Republic of Cyprus that came out supporting Mr. Christodoulidis yesterday, and they are really hardcore. <laughs> but the important thing for me is that we had a 10 years of a DC government in which there was no conscious attempt to work on everything that is basically keeping us divided and, and on the substantial things, things like education, communication, things like even changing the narrative, changing the way we speak about the other. And if you follow Mr. Anastasiadis, in all his statements, there is this fatalistic understanding that there is nothing we can do because this is what they have always wanted. And this is the understanding that the DC government has cultivated for 10 years and the result of this is for a very hardcore uh, sort of politician to be very likely to be elected in the next elections I mean in the presidential Andromai, election. Who, will, who will be in the second round? Oh, that's a very difficult uh, question, Kemal. In fact, I think it is very open. I think both Mr. Mavroyanis and Mr. Averov Neofidou have uh, the... Uh, to neck. <laughs> they are neck to neck to going to the second round yes. with Mr. Christodoulidis. Yeah. And I think that both Neofitu and the Mavroyannis camp, they kind of underestimated the capacity of Mr. Christodoulidis to be in the second round. And uh, this has become clear. I mean, it is very difficult. I mean, him. after so many polls and so many months, they finally found out that Mr. Christodoulidis is actually the main contender. And... Uh, and the, the other independent candidates haven't agreed on a single candidate, as far as I understood. But you see this even in the... If you go, if you look at the choice of Akel, let's say, Akel chose Mr. Mavroyanis, and one of the reasons why, at least, I mean, I'm talking about what they claimed, one of the reasons why they chose Mr. Mavroyanis is because they believed that in the second round it would be Mr. Averov Neofidou, and if they could get to the second round with their candidate, they believed that a more center-right sort of candidate would allow them to open up to, let's say, Diko or Edek, who would have stayed behind from the second round, and they hoped that they would attract those voters. So you see, I mean, how the tactics are not working because they had miscalculated, in effect. And I think these elections and, and, and all these developments are a case of miscalculation because in the past, and we have discussed this in this um, podcast, we also saw how Mr. Averov Neofidou had miscalculated not only the prospects, but the vision of Mr. Christodoulidis to become a president. He didn't understand that that was his enemy within the DC camp, let's say, uh, when it comes to the presidential election. Do you see any leadership change in the political parties after the um, elections? I believe that the political setting will change after these elections. Which party will be the first to face a leadership challenge will depend on who goes to the second round. So if Akel does not make it to the second round, I, I believe it's going to be the first that will have a leadership challenge. Having said that, though, 
I believe that Mr. Neofidu, even if he goes to the second round or not, as long as he will not be elected, if he will not be elected, he will definitely have a leadership challenge in his party. We already know that they're going to have this conference after the elections. All my information point to the fact that Mr. Neofidu is kind of suggesting that he will not accept to step down. But if you follow things closely, it is evident that the DC politicians and the DC MPs, they are, they are now positioning themselves accordingly based on who will claim the leadership of DC after the elections. And I also want to say something here. I believe that Mr. Christodoulidis knows that only with these parties that he has uh, around him, it will be very difficult for him to govern because they do not have any sort of party commitment, let's say. So I believe it's going to be very difficult for him to be passing bills through the parliament. What I believe Mr. Christodoulidis will attempt to do after the elections in the case that he's elected, I believe that he will attempt, inverted commas, to choose the next leader of the sea. So now... And you can see from his public statements how there are some ministers that he's applauding and some ministers that he's remaining. This reminds me, okay, not not exactly, not exact similarities, but this reminds me how Trump came and changed the you know existing setting of the Republicans and all the political grounds and became a force itself. Well, we have the elections in the north as well, the the local municipal elections, which will take place on the twenty fifth of December, a Christmas day. And JTP, um, the opposition party pro solution leftist JTP, wants to use this as an opportunity to um, you know show some strength. But uh, the selected candidates are not going to make it, if you ask me. And um, uh, Mr. Harmanji, um, who is actually following Mr. Akinji's line, the current uh, mayor of the North Nicosia, seems to be the main contender again, despite his party is around 5%. It shows how the party politics is not necessarily working when it comes to the local elections. And JTP is actually also uh, fighting for uh, the the post. So there will be two pro-solution candidates. And I don't know how it's going to shape the the political uh, setting in the north um, after that. But I don't see JTP winning Nicosia nor um, Kairinia. And not even Famagusta, the, the, the main dis- districts in, in the north. So I don't know how they're going to say that they will be a real contender for the power. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it's these things you would never know. What is being discussed, Kemal, in these elections? I mean, what, what are the things that are at stake? Do people discuss whether someone is pro-solution or not? Is this a consideration? The biggest discussion so far was the reform of the municipalities, which they dropped, the, they merged some municipalities and dropped the number. Um, there is no discussion. I mean, every municipality has their own discussion. And, and I don't think that lots of them are relevant. The main problem of the municipalities in the north are, are they are all in financial crisis. And um, Just so... Like with the ones in the south. Yes, they are all, they are all failing in that sense. So, um, you know, it's basically whether people like the candidate, whether people like the party affiliation, 
I don't see anybody discussing any programs, really. I mean, I see a JTPEC candidate talking about, oh, we are going to open new crossing points in Nicosia. A great idea, of course, but I doubt whether the candidate has the, the mayor will have the power to do so. You know, this is an insight from our uh, activist work and from our work on the ground. Uh, mayors matter, municipal leaders, local leaders matter when it comes to even arranging for uh, multi-communal events or even arranging for bringing people together. I know from our friends that have this bi-communal group of, of, of musicians, how what a great difference it is for them if they appeal to a pro-solution local leader, either in, either in the north or in the south, for them to go and sing to local festivals. I mean, it does make a difference. And uh, this is something that we need to watch it out. Uh, Let's talk some positive things. Uh, because really, I mean, we have those people on the ground doing a lot of work. Yes. And they deserve respect and appreciation. We have this youngster group. Hade, they are organizing mingling meetings, bringing youngsters together, teaching language. Um, the organizing language courses, being very active on social media. We have those environmentalist groups doing... Ah, tell me. I remember the first bi-communal tennis tournament that took place in Larnaca. I was going to, I was going to refer to that. And then there are those uh, private initiatives, like individual initiatives, where you know they are bringing people together. We have those people who are going around and playing songs and making friends. We have those people who are supporting the, the, the jailed Greek Cypriot and going to their courts um, when he was arrested on the <laughs> on stupid re for stupid reasons on on espionage and, and eventually really being released for really because there was no such thing. So th there are people on the ground doing stuff. And uh, why don't you uh, mention a bit about this uh, tennis initiative that you you were being part of uh, no i i think the important thing here is to say that things are happening and indeed we had the first uh, bi-communal sort of tennis tournament that took place at the rododo academy in meneu uh, it was in fact an initiative by by a youngster a 17 year old uh, youngster who plays tennis and who who, who realized that he uh, one of his co-players in an international tournament who was Turkish dropped him as a doubles partner when he realized that he was a Greek Cypriot. And after he had this experience, he said, no, I want to organize this bi-communal uh, tennis tournament. And he did so. And it was very successful. Of course, United Cyprus now supported it and everything. And we were both there, Kemal. But the important thing here is to remember that things can happen when everyone is sleeping. And this is the time to enhance uh, the work on the ground. This is the time to go against the tide, to intervene in this dormant state in which we are. And I believe that this is the time to look for these uh, positive things and to work for them and to push for them because there is this mistake that not only the international community but also local leaders always do, that they put the attention on multi-communal or bi-communal sort of activities only when there is a tier one uh, process uh, going on. But this should not be the case. This is the time to put all the efforts in bringing the people together because at the end of the day, it is the people that will ultimately resist partition. And, you know, I mean, there are those groups which actually deserve a mention, like Cypology. Is, is, it's a multi-communal research platform sharing evidence-based 
knowledge deriving from academic research in Cyprus and across the globe. And they've been doing workshops together with the support of the United Nations. There was this Startups for Peace initiative. STEAM. Um, the, the science initiative bringing kids to do scientific experiments and everything. So, in fact, there are many initiatives on the ground. And this is why I'm talking about democratic deficit, because people are trying to do something. They are trying to come together and then build a future together. And then I understand that maybe your political position regarding the, the model that you want to establish in the future might be different. But at least you can agree to having a very peaceful ground for people to talk to each other and communicate and understand each other. So So uh, big applause to them, uh, really. And I think also big applause to the Island Talks, who are now who is now training um, future podcasters with the support of the uh, Active Citizenship Fund. And um, we organized the first training um, and then we're going to organize uh, that was in English and we're going to organize one in Greek and we're going to organize one in Turkish as well, hoping that we are going to contribute into the, um, you know, um, different voices to be heard on, on this country, not necessarily about peacemaking, but about alternative alternative voices, about people, um, excluded groups uh, contributing into the democratic nature of the country. And I think, you know, the, these are very uh, important uh, initiatives. You, you see, so you, despite everything, we are about to close the program with some hopeful developments. And uh, I think we will hopefully continue to have those developments. I mean, the crossing st- is still a, a challenge. We still have long queues. But I think the fact that people are building friendships and attempting to do something shows to the rest of the world as well that the Cypriots, uh, they really want a, you know, a peaceful future. And at the same time, I think that because things are so unstable and things are constantly changing and from one day to the other, everything might change. I think hope can only come from action. And when you are active and you are trying to do what it is that you think is for the best of this island, it might come a time when any change or any influx or any sort of of turbulence might be to the benefit of those who have been constructing things on the ground rather than and building bridges rather than um, building barricades so i sometimes it. believe that this program is also like a psychological uh, treatment for us yes. <laughs> we start off with being uh, well i definitely started off today with being very emotional <laughs> like why why do we need to why do you, we need to stay in this cursed country? and then ending up the flowers <laughs> in our minds yeah. alright on that note I think it's time to say goodbye goodbye and tune in the next time where we are going to explain what is going to happen with the Archbishop elections in the Republic of Cyprus which is I think it has a bit of a interest the first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus Island Talks open diverse free <laughs>